Okay, so it's Friday, so this is the fifth episode of the Membrane Labs podcast. I'm still Tyler, going. here still with going. Art still, as always. And uh, we also got Eric Showers in. Uh, he works in the office here uh, with us, not with our company, but we, uh, we talk a lot about crypto. And uh, he's going to chime in a couple times throughout the course of the podcast and hopefully uh, give us some interesting insights. So I'm just going to let him say hi here. Hi, my name's Eric. Uh, I feel uh, very honored to be a guest this week. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> it's nice to have you, Eric. Yeah, we're, we've got a little bit of an interesting microphone situation. So uh, Art and I each have our own microphone, and then we're just going to be sharing with Eric. Uh, so if there's any kind of weird lapses or pauses, that's why. Um, so uh, as, as usual, I think we should start off by saying what's going on with the crypto market. All right. Well, unfortunately... Bitcoin's taking a bit of a plummet. Yeah, it's uh, straight to the bottom, eh? Oh, man, it's uh, I just in, in the various groups I'm involved in and, and whatnot, uh, people are saying, uh, oh, you know, we're going to see 5,000. So uh, hopefully not, because uh, my portfolio would take quite a ding there. But, uh, you know, I guess we'll see. Uh, if we're talking Ichimoku cloud standards here, uh, right now we're below the cloud so that's indicative of a bearish market and don't expect to see any real bull moves until we break up above the cloud so uh that's unfortunate um i don't know you, you say that uh there's been people expecting to see five thousand though mm -hmm. that seems like I don't know. I'd be surprised if it went under six. It looks like it keeps bouncing. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to say. You know, that's just what people are saying. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of different trading strategies and analysis, uh, so to speak. And uh, so everyone has different opinions, right? And um, the thing about the technical analysis is that it really depends on how many people are looking at which type of indicator, right? Because, I mean, obviously people will react to the indicator that they're looking at, right? So I think the best way to get a uh, informed picture is to actually look at multiple indicators, right? And if they all kind of line up and say the same thing, well, then you can be more confident at least that that's the way the market is going to go. Yeah, sort of like getting a variety of opinions from different sources. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But instead of different sources, we're talking about different methods of analysis. Right. And so, um, so that, that makes sense. Like what else do you use other than the, uh, the cloud? Yeah. So, uh, I wanted just to talk about some chart patterns today. And, uh, so chart patterns are pretty much just looking for these sorts of exactly that just patterns, uh, in, in, in the price. So it's kind of split into two categories. You have reversal patterns and you have continuation patterns. So obviously reversal patterns, you know, it's, it's indicative of it's going to go the other way and continuation. It's going to continue. The trend's going to continue and it'll keep going the okay, way it's so going. The, the reversal would be something that you would look at and say, oh, like I think that the current direction is going to change. Exactly. Okay. And then, of course, continuation means no change. Exactly. Okay. That makes sense. So um, when we're looking at chart patterns here, uh, what Bitcoin likes to do is there's a lot of wedges in Bitcoin. So... Um, uh, look at an example here. If you look at the hourly, for example, on Bitcoin on Trading View, you can see I could I could draw a bunch, but you can see a lot of uh, sort of triangles. So that would be uh, a swing low, which is like a, a big dip in price, and then a swing high. 
And then so what you do is you draw your triangles based on these two, two swing lows for a bottom of the triangle and two swing highs for the top of the triangle. Two swing highs for the top? Yes. Isn't that a square? Well, um, I guess uh, one high sw swing high and like an another lower swing high. Does that make sense? Not, not really. So are they both points of the triangle? So uh, I wish I could show you. Uh, so let's say one top would be 7,000. The other top would be 6,500. So you have a downward angle on the top. And then a swing low would be, let's say, the bottom would be 5,500. And then the next swing low would be like 6,000. So that's kind of like so, an upward. So slope. I'm picturing the bottom of the swing lows. Mm -hmm. That's like the bottom two points of the triangle? Uh, think of a wedge. It's like a sideways triangle, not a... Not a uh, equilateral triangle as, as you're picturing it okay okay it's it's more of a wedge so you have kind of a like like like, like this right so how many sides does it have three three <laughs> <laughs> okay so it's like a, a weird sideways triangle that we're shaping yeah and yeah. the line goes through two points yes yeah okay and so when when you're looking at that um price is kind of consolidating within this triangle and so what you're looking for is if it breaks up above the triangle or down below the triangle. And then that's kind of indicative of what, where the price is going to go. And Bitcoin really likes to follow this kind of pattern. And it's it's really, it, it respects the triangle is the best way to say. You know, if it breaks up out of the triangle, you're pretty much guaranteed to go up at least a little bit. You know, and if it breaks down below, then you're going to go down a bit. And uh, you just kind of keep looking for these triangles, right? And whether they break up or down, you can make take a position on that, like a long or a short, right? Okay, so do you think that that's because the triangle like breaking free is like an indicator of changing momentum already? Is that is that what you're kind of suggesting? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a, um, a lot of different chart patterns. Uh, I mean, so there's you got your ascending triangles, descending triangles, symmetrical triangles, uh, you got double top reversals, double bottom reversals. So um, just to kind of touch on that a bit, a double top would be it's coming up, price is coming up, it finds a ceiling or resistance, yeah. right? Comes yeah. back down, consolidates a bit, comes back down, finds support, consolidates within this kind of area, and then comes back up and fails to break that resistance again, and then comes back down. That's a double top. And it means it's reversing and it's going to come back down. Okay. That that actually makes sense, right? It's kind of a, a way of sort of trying to gauge the temperature of, of like the, the change, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and pretty much it tells you it's like, hey, you know, the market doesn't doesn't want it to go past this price. So, I mean, it's likely going to go down if it's not already trying to go up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you do you like do this a lot yourself? Is that something that you've been using? Yeah, I mean, um, so for the long term, like I'll take a position, uh, I'll take a short or a long based on the Ichimoku cloud, just because it's 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 quite reliable. It's it's really long term, like you're looking at like months, yeah, kind of right. But if you're looking for let's say maybe day trading and you're looking at 15 minute charts, then you can use these kind of chart patterns uh, to make a move. You know, I see. Okay. Yeah, so I tried it a bit, you know, I've had a uh, decent success with it, but uh, I'm not a professional by any means. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, have, have you found it to be, like, relatively effective for you? Yeah, like uh, like I said, with with these uh, triangles or the, the wedges. 
Okay. Bitcoin really respects those, right? Uh, what, what are they called exactly? Uh, so there's falling wedge, rising wedge. But the, uh, the, the, the idea of these shapes, like what's that called? Uh, they're just chart patterns. Chart patterns. So like if someone wanted to look up like Bitcoin chart patterns, they'd find some info on the internet about them? Yeah, actually yeah. I have a great resource that uh, it's actually in our podcast topics that I linked it there. The stock charts one. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we'll put that in the podcast description. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, that's actually really interesting. So every time that we talk about uh, the different sorts of ways that you can look at a market, it's interesting for me because not having any kind of economics background at all, it's completely the first time for me hearing a lot of these ideas. Um, so I always find these these conversations pretty interesting. Yeah, it's 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 weird how these patterns, uh, how, how, how accurate they are. And, yeah. and Have you ever seen like something in one of these patterns occur then... Like say say you see something that indicates to you that the market's rising and then it doesn't. Yeah, and 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 so l- l- again, um, there's a lot of these patterns, right? Like there's um, triple bottoms, triple tops, bump and run reversals. Uh, I haven't actually looked into all of these, but the ones that are the most accurate with Bitcoin, anyways, are these wedges, right? And I've tried some of these other ones that didn't quite work out for me, right? So like, what 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 hasn't worked for you? Can you give an example? Uh, yeah, so uh, if I'm looking at a continuation pattern here for a rectangle, uh, those have been very uh, unreliable for me. And what does that look like, a, a rectangle continuation pattern? Yeah, it's a rectangle continuation, so meaning uh, it price is consolidating within a rectangular range, essentially. Okay, so it's going up and down, but not outside of the bounds of the rectangle? Exactly, and then, so the idea is that once it breaks below this rectangle, that that's a continuation of a bearish trend, right? But okay. I've had it where it's broken down and then just shot right past the rectangle in the other way, right? So. And you think that's just like a symptom of the volatility of the crypto markets? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. that makes sense. Uh, I definitely, I'll be interested to see if we can maybe uh, continue to follow some of these ideas and just as we continue to like track prices of things, see how some of these tools that we talk about have kind of turned out in the long run. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, definitely. Um, So what I'm going to do actually maybe for our next podcast is I'm going to, I'm going to draw some of these chart patterns and, uh, and what I'll do is I'll announce them for the next podcast and then we can see if they play out how we expect them to. Yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting, right? Being able to to look back and see kind of how things that we thought would happen turned out or didn't. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've been talking about the Ichimoku cloud for a couple of weeks now, and uh, it's it's quite... It's it's quite accurate. Like we broke below yeah, it's the been cloud, indicating accurately for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we definitely talked about it a few weeks ago when we first brought up the Ichimoku cloud. Mm-hmm. That you thought that it was indicating that we would see a downturn, and that's turned out obviously. So right. Yeah, that's definitely. So it's quite accurate in my experience, anyways. So, yeah, it's um, been it's been good for predicting things for you. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um. And I guess uh, along, I just want to say, like, with these chart patterns, uh, I would like to use an RSI indicator, which is a relative strength index indicator. And pretty much just in very simple terms, it indicates if at the current price, the asset is oversold or overbought. So it's kind of just a line that's below the chart. And obviously, if it's overbought, and it's it's pretty accurate with Bitcoin as well. So if it's overbought, it's kind of like you have these bounds within 
the RSI indicator. And if it's above these bounds, then, you know, price is way out of whack. It's way too high for what it is currently. So it's bound. So I'm a little bit confused. What do you mean by overbought? Overbought, it, it's, it pretty much just means that for the current price, like there's, it's, it's overvalued essentially. Okay. And how would you predict that something's overvalued? Like if people are paying that value, isn't that what the value would be? Yeah, and I, I don't I don't know the whole math behind the RSI, but uh, it's it it gives you an idea of. I feel like that if if the price rises too quick, well then like it gives an indication that like hey you know watch out. You yeah, know. there's there's maybe a good indicator that it's a high likelihood that it's not a stable price. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I could see that. Yeah, that's great. so it's kind of almost like an image of how much momentum. The market has on purchasing something compared to what it like should be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That kind of makes sense. So if you're saying overbought, you could say something along the lines of uh, maybe the market is kind of hysterically buying things mm-hmm. at, at a rate that's not sustainable, and then you think that that'll crash. Right. And if if you're thinking that it's underbought, then maybe that'd be a good time for you to get it and buy. Right. Definitely. Uh, so I mean, I'm looking at it right now. It says it's. Uh, oversold right or undervalued okay. at the yep. moment which which makes sense right like in it, a bearish market yeah yeah it it, it kind of makes sense right uh i wouldn't i wouldn't be super religious and follow this religiously but it gives you an idea anyways right yeah and that actually brings us to uh, another important point that we brought up at the meetup yesterday that we're not financial advisors and <laughs> maybe uh take this advice with a grain of salt um probably don't stake your life savings on what we're saying here but yeah definitely don't do that uh i like i said i'm by no means a professional right i'm learning more and more every day and uh, i'm just kind of passing on my knowledge and uh yeah so small disclaimer there just yeah uh, we're, we're here learning with you guys so don't uh, don't take it all to heart and if we're wrong like let us know let us know in the slack channel yeah and if there's if there's uh any other opposing ideas uh please let us know you know we can definitely uh, discuss that kind of stuff yeah, actually, that'd be that'd be awesome. So we'll post the Slack channel in the description for this as well. And uh, if anyone has any kind of uh, criticisms of these ideas or counter ideas, it would be awesome to hear about those and kind of discuss those counterpoints in the podcast as well. So I would definitely encourage anyone who has any any thoughts about this to chime in. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so is that is that enough about uh, the markets? Yeah. So uh, we'll post that. Uh, those chart patterns in the description if anyone wants to take a look Uh, definitely valuable resource and uh, happy trading and uh, we'll move on to the next topic yeah so we were talking about this one earlier today Uh, so bitmain the company that produces asic miners for bitcoin um, they're they're taking their company public and uh, i was completely shocked at the numbers that they have for evaluation so they're valuing their IPO right now at $18 billion, which seems absolutely crazy to me. It's insane. $18 billion. And uh, in this article uh, from Coindesk that we were reading, they actually place the Bitmain profits for 2016 to 2018 at something like $2.5 billion a year. That's insane. Yeah, it seems absolutely, absolutely incredible. I, I, I can't even imagine how... Um, that amount of profit. So why do you think they're going public then? Uh, good question. I mean, it's not like they need the money. <laughs> uh, the arguments that I've read, and I, I haven't read about this a lot. I only saw this earlier today. So, um, you know, it might not be a complete image, but the idea that I've seen is that they're hoping to 
turn Bitmain and their infrastructure into more of like a full-on conglomerate as opposed to just like a company that produces ASICs and then, you know, sells them after they've used them. Right, okay. Yeah, they actually, they've received a lot of flack about that too, right? There's this uh, maybe semi-conspiracy theory that they test their ASICs for a lot longer than maybe they should. Uh, doing some mining, making some profit, and then they sell them to people. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so they call it testing, eh? Yeah. I, I think I think it'd be hard to really like prove that. Yeah. I mean, if that makes sense. But how else do you test them other than to mine with them, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just I've heard a lot of things about Bitmain themselves as kind of a company that make me sort of have some questions. But um, I don't know. It's it's definitely it's interesting to see that there's such a large company involved in the crypto space. Um, like I can't think of any others that are valued this highly. No, it's uh it's crazy. Yeah, they definitely uh, made some good choices, I guess. Yeah, I mean they've definitely uh, definitely hopped onto Bitcoin at the right time to get into building ASICs, and I, I think that everyone who mines Bitcoin now with any kind of profitability is using their ASICs. So. The first quarter of 2018 estimated 10 billion. That's uh, that's their earnings. Earnings, okay. Yeah, so not not just pure profit, but yeah, okay. that's that's still, you know. Yeah, I, I it's, it, the the numbers boggle my mind. I can't even imagine. <sighs> Crazy. Yeah, last week we talked a bit about AMD, and uh, in some ways the increasing uh, popularity of Bitmain's mining machines um, kind of represents the possibility that for companies like NVIDIA and AMD, their own chips might drop off in value as, as uh, less and less people are using graphics cards to, to mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting sort of, uh, I don't know, position to be in. You know, they're kind of a new player in like the global chip market, right? Right. But uh, they could definitely uh, pose a threat to some of these big established companies if they keep going the way they're going. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we'll see what happens, but I, th- I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, no, I'm just quickly reading through this article. Uh, it's it's almost hard to, to understand that article just because the numbers are so big. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I I find myself keep scrolling up back to the profits. I'm just like, am I reading that number right? Like, are you sure it's not two point five million? It's like, no, sure enough. Yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, taking a company public, you see that uh, Tesla is going to go private, or Elon Musk wants to take Tesla private. Yeah, at the at four twenty a stock. Four twenty a stock. <laughs> I I don't think he's going to be able to do that. Um, What's the stock price at now? Curious. Three fifty-five. Yeah. Um, Tyler, I'm not actually like I'm not sure for what reason you don't think he'll be able to do that, but he stated that uh, funding has been secured for that already for that buyout, and the the only thing in his way um, that I know of is just the the shareholder vote. Um, I just I think that what's going to happen is that the stock value will probably rise. Uh, I think that the, I've actually heard some theories that the whole point of this exercise is that he's trying to pump the stock value up uh, in order to gain a little bit more capital. Right. Uh, but 
yeah, the, the theory that I've heard is that basically the price is going to raise above 420 before he's able to do, do this buyout and then he won't be able to afford it. Oh, okay, I see. But I mean, that's that's not like that's not a guarantee by any means. He could definitely potentially pull it off if nothing changed. Yeah, well, at its at its highest, it was at it looks like three three eighty almost three seventy nine fifty seven. Do you do you think it's a good move? Um. I mean, it depends. Because Tesla has depended very heavily on investment in order to stay afloat. Right, but, I mean, if he doesn't believe he needs it, unless it is just it's just a big ploy to, to pump the stock price, right? Yeah, I mean, and then I heard that, and maybe he'll be under investigation for that because I don't think that's, um, I don't think that's something that the... Uh, SEC. Yeah, yeah, the SEC is really super fond of. Yeah, that's kind of market manipulation in a sense, eh? Yeah, I could see that being an issue. Yeah, well, if he says that, then uh, I, w- I wonder if his, his statement is binding, you know? Yeah. And it's important to like kind of keep in mind, too, he does have another successful company that is private in SpaceX. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's a total left-field idea from Elon Musk. Right. Right. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's It seems a little crazy just to buy back all those shares, um, especially when he's not yet, like, profitable. Oh, Tesla's unprofitable. Um, I don't think so, no. I don't think they've ever made any money. Okay, then. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, if you're not that familiar with it, Art, it's like they basically... You're not going to be able to get that microphone over to him. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll give mine back to him. Uh, yeah, no, they, they basically have always just taken in more money from investment and they've never been able to turn a profit in any serious way. Mm. So, and it's, it's like a lot, like it's in the scale of billions. Yeah. I mean, well, in that case, why, why is the stock even, uh, why is the stock even that worth that much? You know, it's crazy. Yeah. And I'm pretty curious about the actual regulations on, the information that he's allowed to release, I guess, or what he's obligated to do after making a public statement like that. But um, my guess is that they probably have to follow through with the shareholder vote from the uh, the amount of like uh, statements that he's made already on this topic. But uh, my <laughs> my own thought is that um, like as to the reason why he's doing it. Um, when he states that funding is already secured and guaranteed, it, that just makes me think that one large entity approached him with a very good deal. Right. I don't know what you guys think, but, um, you know, like old Muskie, he's got a lot of cash hiding away, but uh, this is a big buyout. Like, it's not him pushing this, I think. I don't think he would do this unless uh, unless somebody else, you know, approached him with a deal, essentially. Hmm. And I don't know, there... <laughs> In uh, 2018, there's probably a lot of uh, a lot of entities out there with a lot of cash that um, are looking for ways to divest from the old energy market and get into the new energy market. Um, not not because environmentalism is cool, but because <laughs> they need to. You know, the old energy market is shrinking. And when I say old, you know exactly what I mean, right? Oil um, cool. moving to the uh, the new energy market, which is going to be mostly electricity based. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. An interesting theory for sure.
Yeah. I also think like on the exact same point as you're saying that I think that as a company, Tesla would actually benefit a lot from the sort of structure that the really established automakers have. Um, because I think the biggest struggle that Tesla's had recently is just meeting production targets and having production lines and the cash to set those up. Right. So I, I know that if you order a Tesla car, then uh, you'll be waiting quite a bit, eh? Yeah, and beyond just the wait list, like what will happen is is they'll put out a statement that says we're going to build 6,000 cars this month. And then usually what happens is they build like 5,800 and then they're in a mad rush on the last day of the month to get a couple more cars out. And then, you know, Elon Musk will come out and say, oh, what a great success we had. We almost made our target, <laughs> right? And it's like, that's not really the same thing as making your target. Like you're, you're missing it every single time. Right. I don't know. It's, it's obviously not easy making cars, right? And uh, like that's, that's one thing that Tesla has really shown is that it's not like a seamless process, mm-hmm. which I think people forget when we've got automakers who are very adept at like running production lines and making sure that these things aren't issues. You know, despite all the complaints people have about like, for, for example, for like American cars and uh, quality control and things like that, they sure seem to be able to build a lot of cars. So I don't know. I, I could actually see uh, someone who is in the manufacturing industry feeling like they could have a lot to give Tesla. And uh, I, like, I, I think the most valuable thing with Tesla right now is is their brand, right? They've somehow figured out a way to make electric cars cool. Well, they're nice. Have you ever seen inside a Tesla? Yeah, I drove a Tesla a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually drove one, too. They're really quick. Uh they're quiet. Like you don't hear anything. So I don't know. It depends on who you are, if that's a good or a bad thing, but, uh, amazing. And they're really nice inside and they have all the, you know, the main, the main board right in the middle there. And you, you know, all you're operating everything from there. It's great. Yeah. I don't, I don't mean this as a jab in any way, but if you start your, if you start your line of cars with a, uh, a luxury model, like, of course they're going to be cool. <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. I don't know, man. Like, for a long, like maybe 10 years ago, like I don't think there was any cool high-end Mercedes. Can you name one? A cool high-end Mercedes? From the mid-2000s. Oh, geez. Uh, no, I guess, I guess I am thinking of cool high-end Mercedes right now, but uh, they're obviously more recent. Yeah, obviously everyone likes the SLS, but there was a period of time where they weren't making cool cars. Yeah, they just had that kind of status of being cool cars, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I guess I guess my point is that it's just cars at that level are really a lot about status, mm-hmm. right? Like a Honda Civic will get you around town, no problem, and drive on the highway. Like like even Honda Civics are nice cars in 2018. They are. Right? And to be able to convince people to not go to an established luxury brand, you know, your BMW and Mercedes and Lexus and Acura and even things like like the really expensive, like the Bentleys and things like that. Oh, man. Yeah, like Tesla is able to produce a car that people want, which I, I think says a lot because I don't think that's easy. I think if it was easy, companies like Ford would be doing it successfully. Mm-hmm. Or I don't think anyone's really that stoked about Lincolns. Yeah, I haven't even heard about that in like forever. The Lincoln Navigator? You don't want one? Like I don't even know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I don't know, like 
I think that I think that one of the biggest strengths Elon Musk has in the field is just kind of being able to market these ideas that he has in a way that regular people go, oh, that's super cool. I'm really excited about that. Where in reality, a lot of them are kind of like nerdy ideas. Does that make sense? That does make sense. They're not they're not like populist ideals all the time. But the way that he presents them, it it seems to be really effective in convincing people that it, they're good ideas and that there's value to them, which is obviously one of the reasons why he's able to gain so much capital while still not making any money. Yeah, I mean, it's working. I see a lot of Teslas around Victoria, right? Yeah, Victoria has lots of Teslas. It's kind of cool, actually. It's kind of neat. I've, I've actually kind of, I don't get excited when I see them anymore, which says a lot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I, I'm a pretty big, like, car head, you know? Yeah, no, you uh, you definitely are. I mean, you're always talking cars, and I'm like, okay. And you're like, oh, that that car, whatever it is, so cool, right? And I'm just like, well, why why is it cool? You know? Yeah, I get so excited when something that I like drives by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're usually all old though. Yeah, yeah. You, you like the oldies, eh? Yeah, the the electricity is not really uh, not really my thing. <laughs> I can't imagine it yeah. is. You don't seem like that type of guy. But uh, I definitely like. I think it's cool. I just think that the modern electric car, as it stands right now, apart from a couple Teslas, is just not that fun. Like, like a Chevy Volt. <laughs> like, it just, it just isn't exciting to me, you know? No, that doesn't excite me either. Right. Which, I mean, maybe that'll just take time, but as of today, I'm kind of lukewarm on those. Okay. I mean, what about, like, the E-Prius? The E-Prius? Yeah, they make an electric Prius. Didn't even know that. Didn't even You're know not that. You're excited but... about that? No. I mean, a Prius to start with wasn't all that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the hybrid, hey? Yeah, just uh, nah. No, I mean, I I don't I know it's bad for the environment, but I like a big gas engine. Yeah, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Lots of displacement. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Eric's looking at me like he wants to say something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to say I learned how to drive standard this year. Um, so sorry to say, but I might be uh I might be spewing out CO two for the next few years because I'm still. <laughs> Still having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> no, definitely. Stan uh, standard cars are super fun to drive. Uh, I I'd prefer it. You know, when I was looking to buy my car, I was looking for a standard. But unfortunately, we didn't get that because couldn't find the car I wanted in standard. So kind of sucks. But, you know, super yeah. fun. Um, kind of sucks in town you know you gotta yeah clutch you, in, clutch your, out, your left clutch calf in, clutch gets in. a real good workout yeah definitely and then you're walking around all weird because you know your left leg is stronger than your right leg and has that happened to you <laughs> <laughs> uh all right your car doesn't have a clutch right now you have no excuse <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I definitely agree i think even um even a slow car that's manual is, is a lot of the times faster that, or uh, more fun than like a faster car. Yeah. And even, even if you do have a car that's really fast, it kind of sucks because if you ever want to actually drive it, like you're breaking laws, you're always at risk of the police, it's dangerous in the city because there's like people and animals and it, you know what I mean? Yeah, but... But like if you have like a slow car that is like fun because it's got a stick shift, like I had a Honda Civic that was stick shift. Like, those things make, like, 140 horsepower. Like, they're slow, right? <laughs> but it's fun because, you know, you can rip around and redline it and do whatever. Yeah, true. Right? Whereas if you have, like, an automatic that's, like, sort of quick but not really fast, it like, it's not that exciting. And, you know, if you hit someone with a Honda Civic, you know, it's, it's not that much damage you can do. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's not. Uh, I drive a, a lifted Jeep right now, so <laughs> yeah, no, you do some damage with that. I, I would definitely probably destroy things. I had to be really careful. Yeah. Luckily, it's also really slow. Yeah, like, it's fun to drive. I've driven that thing. It's it's, it's fun to drive, but it is slow. <laughs> Feels like you're drifting. I actually made that comment last time we took a ride in it because you're so you're so close to the back, eh? So when you yeah, make your turns. it's one of the only cars where the seating position is closer to the back wheels than the front. Right. So it's it feels really kind of like surfing almost, like the way that you're so far back. Yeah. Um, I think that our table might have just arrived. Yeah, I think our table is here. Yeah, that's great. That's right now we have two different color tables in the uh, studio, which I know is at least setting off my OCD. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't like how my table is a little higher than yours on, on one end here. Yeah, they're adjusted a little bit differently. It's uh, it's definitely, you know, bugging me a bit. Yeah, well, that'll soon be solved. Got our table. Yeah, <laughs> da Dave is just confirming. <laughs> awesome. We got our table and our legs in. This is great. Thanks, David. <laughs> Okay, do we have anything else on our topics list that's super exciting today? Actually, I wanted I wanted to ask you, how's your cars coming along? I know you've been working on them. Yeah, so I have I have two cars right now. So I've got the Jeep, which is a 2002 Jeep TJ. Uh, like I said, it's pretty heavily modified. It's lifted and it's got big wheels. And I've done a, a fair amount of work on like the body and things like that. So it's it's pretty far from stock. But it's actually running about as well as it ever has. Beautiful. Um, which is nice. I did a bunch of work on that a week or two ago. Yeah, would you tell us a little bit about what you did there? Um, so I had to replace a bunch of sensors. I had an oxygen sensor on the exhaust and uh, a couple others that I can't remember the name of. And uh, I also had a few bushings and things like that that I wanted to replace. Mm -hmm. um, so I had like a couple of clutch uh, linkage bushings and like just not, not really anything big, mm -hmm. nothing really serious, but lots of like little things that I thought needed to be done. I also swapped like the coolant and the the oil, right? So you know, like just sort of regular maintenance things mostly. Right on, right on. That's but, good to know. hear. Then and then the car. I mean, the car's been okay, apart from the fact it didn't start the other day. <laughs> Why dead battery or no? It turned over. It just I didn't have time to investigate, and then I walked away. And when I came back, it started. So oh, nice, beautiful. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned, but yeah. you know what? What can you do? It works for now. Yeah, Eric. Eric, you're actually gonna buy a car right now, right? Yeah, I guess this kind of relates to what we you were just saying about um, automatic cars that are fast being worse than a slow standard because that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm uh, I'm going to be selling my Honda Accord um, and buying a uh, Subaru Impreza, which is going to be slower. But I don't. I guess I don't care about going that fast. I just and those find the standard funny. Those Subies are fun though. Yeah, yeah. I really like Subarus. And I've driven this one a lot. It's it's coming from a friend that uh, I go on a lot of road trips with. So, you know, I, I know the car well enough that um, I guess I'm just buying it because I use my car for road trips a lot. And having a standard on a road trip is <laughs> a lot more fun. No, definitely. When you're driving like five, five to ten hours kind of stuff. You know, and, and I'm from Ontario and... It's a lot funner driving in BC, you know. In Ontario, we got a long straight road, big highway, you know, no hills, no no windy turns, nothing like that. So I imagine in a standard, that's uh, it's got to be fun to drive. Yeah, I mean, there's a. I don't think there. Uh, you probably can't get any better than the highway to Tofino, man. That's or the uh, the highway out to Port Renfrew. It's one of the some of the best road trip uh, driving I've ever had. Yeah, I might have to take that trip. 
Yeah, that's definitely a fun drive. You can do that one in like a day too. You can day trip out there. Right. You know, hang out, grab a coffee, come back. Mm-hmm. If you do go though, um, there's nowhere to get gas out there. Oh. So fill up your tank before you go. All right, cool. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. I'd the... be one to, you know, go with like a quarter tank and then you know, yeah, be like stranded. Be stranded, yeah. <laughs> I took the Jeep out there and it only gets about 200 miles to a tank. So... Yeah, it was close. <laughs> I was on the, the light was on when I was coming back, you know? Okay, cool. You made it, though. I made it. We Unfortunately. Survived. Yeah, maybe it'd be better for you if I didn't, hey? Yeah. <laughs> get to be the top dog around here. Exactly. Boss yeah. David around. Yeah, there was one more topic I wanted to get to that I think is pretty important. So, um, and what it is about is uh, MetaMask. Uh, so, this <laughs> this pertains to, uh, to anyone who develops uh, dApps on Ethereum. Um, and I think they only announced this uh, just a couple days ago. So, uh, Art's just giving Eric the mic here right now because Eric, uh, Eric has a bit more experience working with this. So, basically, they're making a breaking change to, to MetaMask. And uh, what that is, is currently the way MetaMask works is they inject a library called Web3 into the browser so that the developer can access that. And that's where you get things like the Ethereum provider which is the node that gives you information about the Ethereum network and other things like, for example, your account or, you know, your account balance, things like that. You access that all through the Ethereum provider, which currently is injected directly into the browser. But that opens up a security concern. So say I wanted to track users on the Internet. What I could do is I could look for that injected Web3 and any time that the user was logged into MetaMask, I'd be able to take that information about them, their username and probably their account balance and whatever else is publicly available. And I'd be able to record that without really asking the user for permission at any point. And this change to, to MetaMask is trying to address this. So basically, they're not going to be injecting Web3 anymore into the browser window. So that, that's a pretty big change in how dApps get written. Um, currently, most dApps also have their own version of Web3 but they depend on the MetaMask injected version of Web3 in order to access the provider and the user account of the logged in um, uh, wallet. And in the future, what's going to have to happen is you're going to actually have to call the MetaMask API in order to get access to the provider. And then you'll have to instantiate your own version of Web3 and use that to access um, the, the provider and the blockchain. So... I don't know, Eric, if you want to chime in here, but the way that I see it, the main benefit of this is that the MetaMask client can decline to actually provide any information. So it's more private for users because they actually have to provide permission to a website to access their information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's, um, from, like, my thoughts on the matter is that there's, there's two important things going on. One of them is what you just described where, um, the user's wallet or the user's p- private key controller, which is what MetaMask does. Um, it, yeah, it, it should hide in the background until the user allows um, a website or an application to access it. Uh, so that's one important change, I think. But the other thing is that um, like application developers shouldn't have to develop their application to work with any specific wallet, right? Like they, when you develop a, a web app that's going to use any sort of Ethereum network connection, um, you shouldn't have to uh, specifically hard code in anything to deal with MetaMask or anything to deal with like an iOS wallet. It should all be standardized so that 
application developers don't have to worry about how uh, a user is controlling the private keys. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I like the way that they're going about it. I mean, they're giving a lot of time. November 2nd is a long way away in the Ethereum ecosystem. Yeah, it's true. And I remember when we were working on Treble Key back in the spring, um, we found some GitHub issues where Dan Finley was outlining exactly this article and what was going to happen way back probably in February or March. Uh, so they've been thinking about it for a long time. Uh, it's cool to see them follow through with it. And MetaMask is interesting because they're, they've been the front runner for um, like DAP wallets. Um, and they're, they're used in a lot, of, uh, a lot of projects for sure. And I think they get most of their funding from the Ethereum Foundation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they do a good job of, uh, of leading, the, uh, leading the charge on what needs to happen with these kind of wallets. Yeah, I, I know that we've like personally given them a lot of flack in the office when we're developing because some of the stuff that goes on with MetaMask can get a little bit frustrating. Oh, uh, yeah. But, but <laughs> I, I just want to acknowledge that like it's not easy to develop this whole ecosystem from scratch, right? So mm -hmm. so I actually I actually agree with you. I think they're doing a good job of it. And uh, like definitely I, I don't feel too uh, too critical of how they're approaching this. Like I think that they're giving enough time to, to make this a reasonable sort of like changeover. Yeah, I have to admit, I've been I've been ripping on MetaMask a lot when I when I did my tutorials for contract development because every time I try to use MetaMask when I'm teaching a tutorial, it bugs out on me. Yeah. <laughs> Which is quite frustrating uh, when you're like freaking out trying to lead a tutorial, but Yeah. Um actually that's that's a good thing that you just mentioned your tutorials. Uh so You've been you've done just one now, right? Just the first one was on Wednesday. Uh, no, I've done two weeks. Um, the first two. week was one, and the second week was two tutorials. Okay, okay. So you've done a few tutorials, and what you're teaching mostly is Ethereum development, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to focus on yeah development in general. Uh, that's what I feel my strength is, and that's what I see is missing in the community. Yeah. So I, I think that from the tutorials that I've been to, you're mostly working with Solidity, just directly. Yeah, so far, um, yeah, so far, that's all it is. Just yeah. solidity. I don't even, I don't spend much time talking about the uh, the Ethereum virtual machine in general. Like, I, I do very quick tangents about how it manages state and stuff like that, but it's almost all contract code. Yeah, just the baseline stuff that you need to kind of understand how to work with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually uh, the one that I went to. We were talking about a shelling coin. Um, yeah, that <laughs> that one is a bit goofy. <laughs> yeah, but I, I actually I really enjoyed that. I thought you did a good job, uh, sort of providing a lot of the information. Obviously, we didn't quite have enough time to uh, like deploy it and get it working, but um, I think that everyone in the room learned a lot about how that process works. So I thought that was really good. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, well, my hope with um, my hope with like some of the higher level material or like some of the more difficult problems. Um, is that uh, like I hope that other people in the community can can find the mo like you know um, find some time to to study Solidity enough that we can have a room full of people and just brainstorm topics for uh, for the sake of practice for the sake of experience. Yeah, I some mean, real community discourse. Yeah, like I, I don't consider myself uh, like a super expert on Solidity by no means. Like I think people can definitely catch up to me really quickly. It's yeah. just a matter of. Uh, weeks but um it'd be really cool yeah to have more discussion on smart contract design i think because that's something that there's there's so many um proposals of uh 
projects to be built that uh, I think it would be um, it would be valuable to have time in the community where where we look at those proposals and just brainstorm uh, solutions. Yeah. I mean, the, the white paper is a great example right there, right? They, I mean, I use it all the time where there's like, there's like five big um, application examples that you could build on Ethereum. And then there's like a list of eight more. Yeah. And that's where I got the shelling coin from. Yeah. I, I think that more people should read the white paper. It's a great resource for kind of understanding how a lot of the core concepts work. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, yeah, and the white paper is good at showing you um, the vision as well. Yeah, um, you know we're not at the Ethereum endgame yet, uh, and the Ethereum endgame is also not unattainable yet. Yeah, <laughs> you know we're like we're neither there, and we have also neither failed. So yeah, we haven't deviated too too far from the course, but mm-hmm. so we're if not you there plan yet. to stick around, you should know where we're going. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, so when's your next one going to be? Do you have another one scheduled? I'm taking a week off next week. Um, and then following that, there will be a, uh, a another tutorial on the Wednesday after that. That is the uh, Wednesday, the 22nd. 22nd, okay. And I'm hoping to I'm hoping to solidify a schedule after that where it's tutorial, yeah, consistent. tutorial, and then the the week after the tutorial will be just meetup discussion um, outside of this the the membrane office yeah um and then we'll do tutorial the week after that okay that makes sense yeah we're we're also doing meetups uh, for membrane labs uh, typically about how Ethereum itself works and how to do things like buy and trade cryptocurrency so Art actually put one of those on last night which went really well yeah so uh, <clears throat> so for those of you that didn't attend or don't know. Uh, we had a buying and securing cryptocurrency meetup last night. And uh, yeah, so we just went over some things, uh, just how you can, um, various Canadian on-ramp exchanges. So on-ramp meaning you can take your Canadian fiat and you can buy Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. And all that kind of stuff. So, so you, you walk people through exactly how to go about every step of purchasing cryptocurrency. Yeah, and I tried to be as informative as I could uh, and try to try to uh, give them the right right um, steps to secure their crypto. Right, like don't keep it on an exchange if you have a huge amount. You know, maybe if you have twenty bucks worth of Bitcoin, you can keep it on Binance or Hit BTC or whatever. Yeah, right? we talked about but everything from hardware wallets and paper wallets to just storing it on the exchange. So. Yeah, no, it was Yeah, you went you went through the whole thing. What do you use to store your crypto? What do I use? Yeah. So I have my Ether wallet uh, is where I keep all my kind of ICO tokens whatnot. Yeah. And uh I don't have a lot of Bitcoin, so I do just keep it on exchange. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I guess as long as you accept the risk that it may you know something might happen to it on exchange that you don't have full control, then I guess you're okay. Yeah, I mean uh to buy a hardware wallet is we determined it's around 150 Canadian, anyways. Yeah. To, to buy it and pay the customs on it to get it from France and. Um, yeah, and if you wanted to do a paper wallet, you'd probably need like a safe or something to keep it safe anyway, right? Yeah. I Which mean, would probably cost about the same. And I'm really good at losing things too, so you know I'd hate myself if I ever lost my paper wallet. Yeah, really. <laughs> That's an expensive mistake. Yeah. So. Um, we're having another one August 29th, actually, and uh, 
I don't have any topics, so I think this is a good opportunity to maybe reach out to whoever listens and throw some topics our way because I'd love to, uh, I'd love to really put one together um, that's geared towards what people actually want to hear about, right? And yeah. What people actually want to learn about. So. Yeah, definitely. So if, if you have any ideas about what you might want to learn about or you want to learn more, um, again, always great. Slap, drop in the Slack. Let us know. Um, and uh, I think that in general, that's that's a good place to ask questions too. If you have something that maybe won't take a full tutorial to, to kind of teach. Yeah, so that's uh, vicblockchain.now.sh, right? Yeah, that'll be in the uh, in the description. Yeah, so as always, you know, it's it's open doors there. Um, Jordan, who did a podcast with Tyler a couple weeks ago, he's kind of the guy that runs it, and he's always keen to answer questions and whatnot, so please join, please ask. Uh, it's, a, it's a great little community we have happening there. Yeah, Jordan's always great about answering questions. Yeah. All right, so I think that's the end of our, like, topics list. Um, yeah. What are you going to do this weekend, Art? <laughs> You're going to Ontario, right? Yeah, man. Saturday, flying, flying to Ontario. Uh, yeah, man. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be great. Uh, see the family? See the family. See uh, some friends. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit nervous. Do any of them still remember you? <laughs> it's hard to say, man. It's been two and a half years. Yeah. Uh, I, I still keep, keep, keep up with them and whatnot, but um, we'll see, man. It's just like... They're, they're my best friends from high school, but it's going to be a little weird, right? Just because it's been so long and I'm sure, I'm sure things have changed a little bit. You think you've changed a little since then? Me and them, right? Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Are you going to be missing the next podcast? Yep. I'm going to have to find another co-host. You got Eric here. Yeah. Maybe we should try calling Dino too. Yeah. That would be kind of cool. Um, so Dino's our boss and we've been talking about finding a way to get him onto the podcast as well, but... Because he's located in Germany, uh, the times don't really work out super great. Uh, so neither Art nor I is a very good communicator in the morning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, by the time Friday night rolls around, um, I think it's, uh, it's about the middle of the night for Dino right now. So yeah, I think he has a pretty good excuse not to be here at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it, it's Friday, right? Like, who, who wants to stay up till 3 a.m.? and and talk, talk to talk to us. Yeah, talk to us. I mean, yeah, like, that's just. I wouldn't want to do that, man. I I barely like hearing my own voice, man. So I mean, yeah. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, it's coming through your headphones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what What about you, Eric? You have any big plans for the weekend? No, I went. Uh, I went out to Tofino last weekend, so I've got a, a bit of a like pile up of stuff to clean, <laughs> namely like all of my camping stuff. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going to take the, the weekend off from road trips and uh, clean up my house a little bit. Um, I just built the uh, the Ethereum node for the office um, yesterday, so I think I'm going to install the operating system on that and try to get the uh, the Geth node up and running. That's a cool little rig you have there. It's a, I, I, love, I love the case, you know, the case yeah. is just so sleek looking. Yeah, I've been geeking about the case yeah, like yeah. <laughs> ever since it showed up the other day. Um, yeah, the other thing I'm doing is uh, I need to start working out on a bike because next week I have to do a bike race that kind of came at me by surprise. But oh yeah, what's 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 that event? Uh, it's called the Tour de Victoria. Okay, um, I've actually never heard of that. I guess I'm kind of new to Victoria, so mm-hmm. relatively, yeah. anyways. This happens every summer in August. Uh, I think there's four different lengths. I'm doing the um, the second smallest one, 60 kilometers, because 
like <laughs> that's still my cardio is very change, poor as, as one might imagine uh, skiing in the winter and surfing in the summer doesn't really help your cardio <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to do it last summer but I was too late for registration and I was doing a lot of road biking last summer so right, right. that would have been good but this summer um, the first time I like step on a road bike for a workout a serious workout will be this weekend and I got a week to prepare so <laughs> pray for me yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're in a little better shape than I am. I know I have a tough time walking down to work most days. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, our, our thoughts and prayers are with you on this one. Yeah, good luck, Eric. <laughs> yeah. How long does it take to ride 60K? You know, it's a good good distance, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, I can't, what, I don't know. I honestly don't know how long that would take. Yeah, I actually have no answer for you either. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping not the whole day. Well, what's, your, what's your average speed on a bike, like, uh? I would 30 40 kilometers an hour faster than that uh 40 kilometers an hour would be pretty uh pretty hefty for me to pull okay I I think yeah all right um uh, my guess is my average for the whole race like like I'm certain I'll be able to be above 20 kilometers an hour okay uh which would put me at a three hour finish yeah three hour finish sounds uh ambitious actually now that I say it but you heard it here first yeah, all right. Well, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see. Be, we're checking in on this next week. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what your finishing time was. Yeah. <laughs> what are uh, you doing this weekend? Definitely not biking. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. I got uh, I got a couple of projects I want to do. Um, I want to build some furniture. Oh. So I'm, I'm moving into a new house in September. And I, I don't really want, like the desk I have right now, I don't really like. Um, so I want to build a desk and then I don't have a coffee table. So I want to build a coffee table. Oh, yeah. Like uh, from scratch or you mean just assembling one? No, no. Like I'm thinking I'm going to buy some plywood and get to work. Yeah, man. Right on. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I think I have to buy a table saw, though. Oh, right. You were looking at that the other day. Yeah. I've been like scouring used Victoria for table saws. Yeah. They're not cheap, eh? Yeah. You know, they're not as bad as I expected. Like you could get a brand new one for 350 bucks, mm-hmm. which is not like like when you consider how big of a tool it is, it's not that bad. Yeah, I guess so. So like a used one's not that expensive. 100 bucks or so? Well, I think that I'd probably want to get a decent one, so I'd probably be in for a couple hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, uh, a table saw is the type of thing you could pass on to your kids. <laughs> like, growing up, we uh, we used this table saw. I built a cabinet with my dad when I was, uh, you know, between the ages of, like, 9 and, like, 15. And we used this table saw that was so old, um, my grandfather had used it to build parts of the house that my dad grew up in okay so that's cool we're still using it. at the time that we were using it it was such a piece like we uh, we had to start the motor with a stick <laughs> you had to spin the blade a little bit because it didn't have enough power in the motor to kind of get it past the first rotation right but you know like we we cut so much wood with that thing well whatever works man yeah it works so i don't know i, I don't feel too bad about investing a bit of money in tools yeah. Like, I feel like I'll keep those for a long time. I mean, it's just, I just found it kind of funny that you said, like, it's something you can pass on to your kids, right? Uh, just because I'm just thinking, you know, uh, your kids are just going to be like, oh, you know, dad didn't save for college or anything, but he <laughs> left me this table. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, that's fine. Uh, if, you, if you give a man a house, he can live in it, I guess. But if you give him a table saw and teach him how to use it. <laughs> I don't know if that's I don't know if that's how that analogy works, but yeah, something yeah. about fish. But you just used yeah. it with uh, houses. Yeah, something about fish. <laughs> I don't really like fishing, so yeah. But you do like fish. Oh yeah, I like like eating it. But yeah, yeah, just the the whole sitting in a boat 
non-moving things, not really for me. Yeah, no, me neither. I like when the boat goes really fast. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, what do you think? That's uh, that's kind of kind of our. That's it for our topics, eh? Yeah, I mean, we're up to an hour now. This is a pretty. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. This yeah, one was it's a, a bit of a hefty, hefty cast, but I've had a really good chat here. I think. Yeah, no, and lo- lots of info. We got a guest, so uh, I want to thank Eric for chiming in and you know giving us two cents. Yeah, it was, it was nice to be in here. Um, I've never done any sort of podcast like this before, but it's uh, it's cool being in the recording booth. Makes it feel important. Yeah, no, definitely, and uh, just. Uh, Good for you, because I definitely wasn't as smooth or as good sounding as you were your your first time, right? So yeah, there's a little sweat dripping down your forehead the first time. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, no, you, you you're actually a good guest to have around, Eric. So yeah, look forward to hearing more from Eric in the future. Yeah, I mean he's he's around quite often, so I wouldn't be surprised if he comes in for another one. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Um, as always, check out the links in the description. Uh, reach out on Slack. And uh, hopefully we hear from someone. Yeah. See you later, guys. Have a good weekend.